0: Good morning, Gateway. It is so good to be here with you this morning and uh, live in your building. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been uh, allowed out. I think January was the last time uh, I was able to go anywhere and preach. So it is so good to be with you. I trust that you are all doing really well uh, through this pandemic, the lockdown, all this social distancing stuff. It's, uh, it's great to be with you, and I hope you're doing okay. Um, even though... You now know I'm part of another sphere, uh, and even though I don't see you as regularly as I once did, you are always in my prayers, and uh, my prayer for you has been through this time uh, this year that that you would simply move from just surviving through a pandemic to thriving within it, and uh, I know that you are because, uh, as I say, uh, you're, you're rarely from my prayers and thoughts, and I speak regularly with Barney just to kind of keep up with with all that you're doing. I really do love you guys. So thank you so much for inviting me here. Um, obviously, through my greetings this morning and chats with Barney and uh, our friendship, he, he's said to me today that I'm only half the man I once was and that's true to some degree I've lost a lot of weight I hope you can see uh, but it's, uh, it's been a busy year for me and a good year for, for me actually um, and the reality is, is that even how I view my health even how I view my diet actually has a reflection on how I understand actually how God sees me all of that stuff is actually wrapped up in identity and you know that's something that I've spoken to you about before but learning to see myself how God sees me and how I treat my body in the process but it's really important because all of us actually we want to know who we are and actually more than that we want to know whose we are everyone wants to know who they are and whose they are we have an inbuilt desire in us to belong to know that we are not alone to know that our lives matter that we're worth something that we have a purpose and that we are useful and valuable to others we want to be appreciated we want to be wanted and if the truth be told We want to be needed as well and I get to spend time with people of all ages from 25 to 85 and I see time and time again telltale signs of what I would call an identity crisis and in truth it's exhibited in older followers of Jesus just as much as newer followers of Jesus. And it is in people that don't even follow Jesus. And in all authenticity and vulnerability, I see it in myself far more than I'd like as well. But the good news of the gospel is is, is that it's really a love story, a, a rescue mission, if you like, a rescue mission of God coming after the human race when we turned our back on him. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, did the very thing that God said not to do and they messed it up for the rest of us. But we can't even pin the blame entirely on them either because each of us has continued to perpetuate their error through our own individual wrongdoing. However, our Father God, because of his great love for us, sent Jesus, his only son, to come and die Uh, for us he came to live amongst us as a man while still fully God he lived a perfect sinless life and because he valued each one of us so highly he was willing to go to the cross to die a horrific death taking our place receiving the punishment that our sins deserved and our actions deserved so that we might be forgiven and our sins wiped away justified and made clean But there is more good news. Just when you thought things couldn't possibly get any better, when you realised that your past, your present and your future sins were all taken care of by Jesus on the cross, just when you realise that you were made clean and when your final day comes that your sins won't count against you and you get to spend eternity in heaven. When you think how good God has already been to you, if he did nothing else ever again, we know that he has done so much for us. But if we read our Bibles, we'll find out there's even more good news, more good news, more than that. And we learn this, that Jesus' ultimate purpose was not the forgiveness of sins, but the adoption of sons. My goodness, think about that for a moment. Jesus' ultimate purpose, purpose was not the forgiveness of sins just that we might simply be forgiven but that we might be adopted as sons of father god and this statement in no way minimizes the significance of the cross it's central to the gospel message it was our sin that prevented relationship with our father but the cross dealt with that obstacle so that father god's ultimate desire for us which was to be his children, could be fulfilled. Jesus said this in John 14 verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. We're no longer spiritual orphans without a father. We have been adopted into a family. Galatians 44 to 6 puts it like this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is an incredible truth. For those of us that have asked for Jesus' forgiveness and have chosen to be authentic followers of him, Not only are we forgiven, not only do we get to spend eternity when we die with Jesus and our Father in heaven, but we get to live as his sons and his daughters right here, right now on earth. Galatians 4 verse 7 that follows that passage uh, says this. Well, I'll read it from verse 6 actually. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are no longer slaves, but sons. And not only sons, but sons with an inheritance. Now, you might say, well, I'm not a slave. I've never been a slave. What does that even mean? And it's a good question. But the Bible tells us that we can be slaves to all sorts of things. But 2 Peter 2.19 explains it pretty simply for us. He says this, For you are a slave to whatever controls you. When the Spirit of God comes into us, when we were born again, we were no longer slaves to our lusts, our habits or addictions, but Sons, co-heirs with Christ, with a heavenly inheritance. And this morning, I want to press into what does it mean to receive the spirit of adoption over the spirit of slavery? To be, What does it mean to be secure in the spirit of adoption and not fall back into the spirit of slavery or what I might call spiritual orphan-heartedness? Romans 8, 15 puts it like this, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And there is so much in the New Testament that confirms and affirms that as Christians, we are now children of God. We are sons and daughters with full access to our heavenly Father. 1 John 3 verse 1, See how very much the Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. We have unlimited access to him, and with that comes access to all the resources of heaven. We have an inheritance. Now, usually you receive an inheritance when your father dies, but in this topsy turvy kingdom of God where the first are last and the last are first, we receive an inheritance when we die. Not when we die physically, we don't have to wait till we get to heaven, but we, when we became a Christian, we died with Christ and we were raised again with him. And at that point, we were adopted as sons and daughters. I became a child of God and at that point, I had access to my inheritance as a co-heir with Christ. I have access to all the resources of heaven and so do you. And this is why we can bring heaven to earth, because we can access that heavenly inheritance in Christ by the Holy Spirit. We can demonstrate the kingdom, heal the sick, set the captives free, declare the favour of God, because we are sons. We are co-heirs with Christ, able to do all that Jesus did and therefore succeed at all he has given us to do. So what stops us? What stops us from healing the sick Raising the dead Praying for the blind The deaf Or the addicted Well the honest answer Is fear In some way Shape or form Everything stems from a fear of some kind And fear Is the spirit of slavery That draws even the most mature of us Back into Orphan thinking And behaviour So This morning, by the way of a health check, let's examine our own hearts and see if there are areas of our lives where there is orphan thinking that's not been addressed or where we may have allowed orphan thinking to creep back in. And so we've fallen back, actually, into fear rather than living in the goodness of the spirit of adoption of sonship. Romans 8 15 again, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba Father. And there are often symptoms of an orphan heart that give away our fears and insecurities that subtly draw us again back under the influence of this spirit of slavery or orphan heartedness. And so I'm just going to read out a list, it's not an exhaustive list. But I'm going to show you the contrast between an orphan heart and the heart of a mature son. And by way of a health check, I want you to honestly examine your heart and what you think. So here's some symptoms of uh, orphan heartedness or or fear creeping in. Unbelief. The orphan heart manifests many kinds of unbelief hidden within things like cynicism and scepticism. But the mature son believes all things are possible with God and recognises the confusion sometimes in their own heart and readily cries out, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Performance. The orphan heart serves God to earn the Father's love or man's approval. But a mature son serves God out of a sense of divine acceptance and favour. Fear and anxiety. The orphan heart is fearful over many things uh, and uh, it, it can manifest in all sorts of ways. The fear of disapproval, fear of failure, fear of rejection and may be anxious about the thoughts of others towards them. But the mature son is secure in the love and acceptance of his father. Insecurity. An orphan heart is worried about what others are doing and thinking, trying to second-guess everyone and everything. He's unable to be content without doing something or holding a position or being part of something of value. But the mature son is secure in the knowledge that before he does anything, he's a a valued son in whom the father is well-pleased before he's lifted a finger. Self-reliance. The orphan heart believes eventually that everyone will let them down and the only person they can rely on is themselves. A mature son is secure in the knowledge, knowing that his father in heaven is is always unfailing, that he will never leave us or forsake us. Competitiveness. The orphan heart sees others as competing for limited resources and so are stingy with their possessions and often look to get one up on people. An orphan heart hoards just in case. But a mature son is generous with his money, with his possessions and his resources and he looks to give people a leg up because he knows that the full, limitless resources of heaven are at his disposal. Comparison. An orphan heart sees themselves as competing with others for the father's affections. But a, mus- a mature son enters into the joy of the father and celebrates others without comparison to his self. Often an ho- orphan heart is jealous of others' success. They're jealous of the success of their brothers. But a mature son is committed to the success of his brothers. Control and manipulation. The orphan heart seeks to use people so they do what we want through control and manipulation for personal advance. But the mature son seeks to serve people and advance the kingdom. Jesus said that he came to reveal the Father to us. And those of us who are Christians, Jesus then called to do the same. But how can we reveal the Father when we too frequently operate as orphans? How can we deal with those areas of orphan-heartedness that I've just gone through and many others? How do we deal with them in our own lives? How can we be delivered from that spirit of fear and slavery? Well, the truth is it can't be cast out. It has to be displaced. And it becomes displaced with the love of a good, good Father. And so with the time I have remaining, I want us to look at a story that Jesus told that demonstrates just how good our Heavenly Father is. It's a story you'll all be familiar with. In Luke 15, verses 11 to 32, And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me, and he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine came across that country and they began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, or some translation says when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the fields, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. And, uh, but, sorry, uh, but he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came and entreated him. But he answered the father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. You, You never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came and has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf. You said uh, to him, and he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive, was lost, and is found." And as we take a look at this parable, we see a younger son asking for his inheritance, which in that culture and at that time would have been regarded the same as saying he wished his father to be dead. This was a huge thing. The son, although possibly in private, massively dishonoured his father and shamed his father, which was huge in that culture. Now I've got two sons and I can't imagine what it would be like if either of them had come to me and said, Dad, just die already. Now don't tell them, I would have had the last laugh because I've already spent their inheritance, but seriously, it would have been devastating because they would be communicating to me that our relationship was not important. They would be communicating that they're only in the relationship for the benefits they think it brings to them but look how this father responds in our story he didn't react to the dishonor that he received as so many of us would but instead he released honor and he gave the son what he'd asked for he gave him his inheritance more staggering is the fact that actually if he would have said no no one else would have known But by saying yes, he actually increased his shame and dishonour because in order to honour his son, it meant that the whole community would have known what had happened. And in a culture where what the community think was so powerful, where shame is so huge, the father models something of honour for us. He responds to dishonour with honour. What a father! And so this son, having heaped shame on his father by requesting his inheritance early, continued to shame his father by squandering his inheritance that had been so graciously released to him. And we have to understand the full impact of that in that culture. The son was really going to town on releasing shame towards his father. And more than that, he was doing it publicly But then, as often is the case, hardship comes. The things that the son was looking for in taking the money and going away didn't come to fruition. I'm sure he had high hopes for the future when he left. But because he was so orphan-hearted and he was behaving like an orphan, he was looking for those things in the wrong place. And we read in the story that eventually the son comes to his senses. He comes back to his father's house with what I suspect was a very well rehearsed speech. And we know from the text that he had fully expected to be treated as a servant, he'd expected dishonour because that is how he had behaved. He couldn't entertain thoughts of returning to a family. His only expectation was to maybe be a servant because that's all he felt he was worth. He put his worth uh, and his value in his performance. And because he felt his performance had been so shameful, he expected to be treated as his performance deserved. However, the father responded very differently. First, we see this father running to meet him. And I I find this so amazing because in that culture, for a mature man to run was shameful. But we get the impression that not only did he run, but he hoisted his robe above his knees, again, releasing more shame. And he ran to his son. The, The father risked. Further dishonor in order to honor his returning son. And in a culture where what others thought about you was all important, we see the father abandon his own honor, rejecting its shame in order to meet and love on his son. The father abandons his own honor in order to give honor. And this is such a wonderful picture because remember that the son was still a long way off when the father ran to him. You see, we know the story. We know what was in the heart and mind of the son, but the father didn't know. For all he knew, the son could be coming back to ask for more more money. But nonetheless, the father ran, and he lavished unconditional love on his son, not because of his performance, but because he was a beloved son. No other reason. What a wonderful picture of Father God whose unconditional love for us was so great that he sent his own son to pay the price I couldn't pay, to live the life I couldn't live and die the death I couldn't die. He did it not knowing if I would come to him for forgiveness or not. You know, the father's love for the greatest atheist was so great that he sent his son to die regardless of if that atheist chooses to believe him or not. And this story is so good because we see this orphan-hearted son come to his senses. He realises that what he was looking for was at home after all, and he returns. And his father is looking for him every day, looking to see if his son uh, will return. The one who was lost was uh, found, and when he sees him, he runs And he accepts him just as he was, stinking of pig poo, muddy and dirty, unwashed and unclean. And remember that he would have been ceremonially unclean too, because by Jewish standards, pigs were unclean. In Jewish culture, the father would have been contaminated by touching his son and he would have been made unclean too, yet the father still flings his arms around him and embraces him. What an amazing example of the heart of a father and a wonderful picture of the father heart of God. But the story continues. There is more in the heart of this father. The first thing he does after loving and hugging his son is to restore him. He places a robe on him. He restores the son's honour and dignity even though he risked shaming or dishonouring himself in doing so. The robe covered the stinking rags the son was in, and in doing so, he was covering the evidence of his sin. No longer was the son's shame exposed to everyone. He was covered, hidden in the father's robe. And in Jesus' parable, the robe that the father gave not only covered his son's iniquity, so they were hidden, but it demonstrated to everyone around that the son's position as a son of the father, was instantly restored. So first, his unrighteousness was hidden and covered, and then he was made righteous. His position as a son was not downgraded because of his failure. He was still the father's son, and the father honoured him because he was his son, not because of what he'd done. And what a wonderful picture for us his righteousness not only covers us so our own unrighteousness is hidden but we are then made righteous fully restored to our place as a son what a father and if that was not restoration enough we see the father put a ring on the son's finger Again, understanding the culture, a ring such as that was a a symbol of authority. You've seen it in those old movies, you know, where they they have the hot wax and they put their their ring, their seal on it. It's a a seal of authenticity. It's a a seal of authority. And with that ring that the father gave the son, it gave the son access to all the father's wealth. (laughs) Just think about that for a minute. If you had a son who'd squandered half of everything you've worked for your whole life and he'd squandered it on sex and drugs and parties, would you then, when he came come home, give him the gold credit card? Would you give him the cash point card with the pin? But that is what the father was doing. The ring gave the son authority to make deals, to carry out transactions and make binding legal agreements with people with the father's full authority. And so here the father honours the son, restoring not only his dignity, but also his authority as a son. He showed that his authority was not dependent on his behaviour, but, but on his position. And so when the son came and he honoured the father, when he, he repented and he said, I have sinned against God and against you, the father was able to restore his authority. Folks, our position as a son is not dependent on our performance or our behavior. Our sonship rests on who our father is. And next, the father put sandals on his feet. The son came expecting to walk as a servant or as a slave in the father's household, but the father put sandals of sonship on his feet, allowing him to walk tall again as a son. What an incredible father this is who restores dignity. And this brings us to the last part of our story where the father continues to honour his son by throwing a massive party. Not satisfied that his son knows that he's restored. He wants everyone to know that he's restored. However, we see the older brother observing the party. And the restoration of his younger sibling had not passed him by either. And his immediate reaction to the honour that his father was giving, that his brother was receiving, was to negatively receive that as dishonour to himself. And that is so often the case for us sometimes, isn't it? We, we see honour going to someone else and we, we feel like that means dishonour for us. He saw the father's acceptance of his brother as rejection of him. Instead of being able to celebrate with his brother who was lost and then became found, instead of being able to enter into the joy of his father, the older brother rejects not just his returning brother, but he rejects the love of his father as well. He was looking to justify his rewards as a good son and totally missed the point that your rewards are not based on your performance on a good son, but on his performance as a good father. And what I see in this story is this incredible, amazing, wonderful father heart of God. We have an incredible father in heaven whose love caused him to send and sacrifice his own son so that together with Christ we might be sons and daughters. The cross is the centre point of that rescue mission but it's not the end game. The end game was so that you and I might become sons and daughters in an intimate relationship with a loving, good Father. It was our adoption as sons that so filled Jesus with joy that he was able to endure the cross. There is no performance, there are no works that we can do to increase our value in his eyes. You're not in competition with anyone else. I can celebrate the success of others because I have no fear of God loving them more as a result and therefore less of me. I'm already the apple of his eye, the cream in his coffee. Every day as I wake, before I've done anything, if I listen, I can hear him whisper, I love you. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Before I've done anything, good or bad, he loves me and delights in me. And when I go to bed, regardless of my day, good or bad, successful or riddled with failure, he loves me. And as I'm drifting off to sleep, if I listen, I can hear him say, I love you. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And as I said at the start, that the most mature of us to the newest Christian can allow orphan thinking to creep in and cause us to forget sometimes that we have such a loving God who has this massive Father's heart. And I wonder if I've been speaking this morning, if you've recognized any areas in your life where you've come actually under that spirit of slavery where often thinking in your own heart is stealing your joy or robbing you of your authority. And if you can feel the Holy Spirit prompting you now, then I want to give you time to acknowledge that But before Father in heaven. And whether you're in this room now or whether you're watching in your homes or wherever you are, I just wanted to ask you, would you stand? If you feel, wow, Holy Spirit, you've spoken something into my heart, there's an area that I really need to know your Father's heart where I've slipped back into a spirit of fear. I've slipped back into orphan thinking, if if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you that you are such a good, good Father. And I thank you, Jesus, that you came. You're obedient to your Father. You're obedient even to death on a cross because of that joy that was set before you that we might become children of God. And Father, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for when I've allowed orphan thinking to cause me to behave more like an orphan than I have a son. Forgive me, I pray. And I ask, Lord God, that where people are standing, wherever they are, would you meet them by your spirit? And we ask, Lord, flood them again with the spirit of adoption. Flood them again with your Father's heart, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Barney. If I can jump.